Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jance, and my guest today is Al Pitamapali. He is the founder of the Modern Meeting Company and the author of Read This Before Our Next Meeting, another Domino Project publication. I think this is the, at least the fourth or fifth. They're doing some cool things there. Um, Al, thanks for joining me. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, John. I, I just was telling you privately, I've been a long time follower of the blog, so it's, it's exciting to finally be here. <laughs> well, thank you. Um, there's a, a, a bit on the back flap that re- really caught my attention. Uh, I know a lot of people will will read the, your book, Flapless, because <laughs> so many people get the Domino ones uh, on Kindle versions, but uh, I, I assume it shows up somewhere. Uh, but it uh, talked about uh, somebody asking you what you do for a living, and, and I think that's so funny because, I mean, the punchline of it is what I do for a living is attend meetings, really bad meetings, and I think a lot of people can, can really relate to that. I, I, I actually... Um, jokingly, jokingly tell my kids when they ask me what I do for a living is I delete email. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think that's kind of, I think for a lot of us and, and certainly the audience you're, you're gearing this to that, that's, that's sort of a, a great way to define the frustration, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, the, it's funny the, that's the genesis of this book is I used to work at a company called Ernst and Young and I was an advisor. So I would travel to different fortune 500 companies all across the country and so not only did I have to deal with my own internal meetings, I was attending, you know, tons of uh, meetings at these outside companies. And it literally felt like that's all I was doing on a daily basis. And when I found out that this is the way that most organizations run, especially the bigger ones, um, I became compelled to kind of obsessively study, well, why is this? Why is this such a pervasive problem throughout organizations? Well, and, and one of the things that um, that you talk about on top of it, sort of sucking the life or at least the creativity uh, or the, the, the progress out of organizations, you know, it, it's it's kind of a culture, right? I mean, it's almost an expectation. So somebody goes to the next company and that's, you know, that's how they, that's how they do things there. And, and it, and your contention is it's actually uh, ruining our focus, ruining the things that we focus on and maybe even getting in the way of making proper decisions, right? That's absolutely right, John. I mean, when we talk about meetings and I talk to a lot of people about meetings, the frustration is always a whole host of reasons. Like, they'll say, well, people show up late, people don't care, you know, the meetings are too long. And it's all these superficial frustrations, which I get, because I've experienced those too. But when you look at what is really frustrating people deep down, and I believe this is something that they're not articulating, it's that meetings get in the way. It gets in the way of people making a difference, you know, whether it be inside the organization or the organization making a difference in the world. I mean... If you look at what meetings have become, it's almost like they've become the, the roadblock to something happening, you know, whether it be a project getting launched or an action getting fulfilled. So that's what we're trying to talk about. We're trying to talk about, well, what exactly is a meeting culture and what is the, the, the kind of thing that it enables and it disables? And one of the fundamental principles of the book is this idea of decision-making. You know, really, if you want to understand the meeting problem, you got to understand decisions because my central thesis is that our inability to make decisions is what's leading to this incredible overabundance of meeting. And so that's where kind of the book starts. Well, let me interject. Is it also possible that that meetings become a crutch too so that we don't have to make a decision? <laughs> I mean, it's exactly. like we, we can't make a decision, so let's, you know, let's have a meeting about it because we know nothing will get done then. That's exactly <laughs> right, John. I mean, that's, what, that's basically what I'm trying to say is this idea that when an important 
decision comes up in an organization, we are terrified, <laughs> which yeah. is nothing new, right? We don't have to say that in an organization because we're professionals and we don't face fear inside the workplace. But the reality is any decision is accompanied by fear. That's just human nature. Yep. And so instead of making the decision or being strategic about how to make that decision, the first thing we do is we call a meeting. It's like an emotional choice rather than a strategic choice. And we don't even realize we're doing this, but really what's happened is meetings have become the default stalling tactic for important decisions in business. And again, it's not something that we're always aware of, but I'm trying to call people out and saying, read this book. Now you can no longer not be aware of the fact that you're doing this. So if now you keep doing this, this is your fault. So that's kind of one of the main uh, points I try to bring, bring on the book. Well, and, and, you know, the book, breaks down a sort of modern meeting methodology, which, which makes it very easy to kind of go point by point. Uh, but, but you could also flip it around, and, and when we get to those points, people will, will see that is, you know, you could also call this the seven deadly sins of, of you know, all meetings. Um, you, you know, you kind of turn it around and say, you know, here's, here's the positive way, you know, here's the way to do it. And so I was going to kind of go through a few of those points and, and just because – not only are they a little counterintuitive, I, I think I really think some people, because they've been trained so poorly, probably actually have trouble wrapping their heads around being able to sure. do, do this. So, so the first one we've talked a lot about this decision thing, and and your your statement is the modern meeting supports a decision that has already been made. Now, again, I think for a lot of people that that seems to sort of uh, you know abort the entire reason for having a meeting, right? Exactly. It's, it's the most common kind of frustration I get from the standard. The first thing you got to realize is this is a radical type of philosophy. Um, so I don't, I don't blame people for kind of being like, what? I don't quite get that. But if you think about it, it, it makes sense. And by the way, the first principle is by far the most important, and this is the one you have to get. And then all the other principles are basically there to support this one. Yeah. And it's, it's this idea that what has happened in organizations is meetings have have basically urged people to not make decisions quickly, right? Because if this is there's this awesome or whatever you want to call it, a terrible idea that we call due diligence, mm-hmm. right? Because mm-hmm. when there's a decision that comes up, we feel like we're one we're rewarded, and it's the safest thing to do to call a meeting first because that's what we do as responsible executives and managers. Is listen, we have a decision to make. Let's call a meeting because that's what we need to do. We got to put all the stakeholders in the room and discuss it. But the reality is that may not be the best strategic choice. And in fact, that's a bogged down organizations, and we see that it has. And not every decision needs input from everybody. So. And the worst part of that, John, is the fact that a meeting, what I call it, is a ma- uh, can be a weapon of mass interruption, right? right. Because when you need to, when you have a decision on your plate and you want to you want to call a meeting of eight people, you are by definition interrupting eight people's time mm-hmm. in one moment. So what I'm saying is, well, this is your decision. So I get that you need input, but if you're going to get input, instead of mass interrupting people. You need to get them through people in one-on-one conversations. So before you make your decision, you can reach out to as many people as you want individually to make sure you're making the right decision to get the intelligence you need. But eventually, you need to make your decision. And then if you need a meeting, by the way, at that point, a lot of times you're going to realize you don't need a meeting. But if you need a meeting, it's because you want to vet that decision. 
right? You may, it may be a controversial decision or something where you might want feedback or you want somebody to help you maybe change your mind. So then you can call five people in your room and say, hey, you know, I just made this decision based on the input that I received from you guys individually, and I'm thinking I want to go in this direction, but this is why I'm calling this meeting because conflict is a good thing. So if by the end of this meeting I realize, based on your input, group, in, group input, that we should change direction, I'll change my direction. So that, that, in that type of structure, the bias is towards action. In order, in, in the meeting propels the organization forward instead of retarding it. Well, and, and quite frankly, a lot of times the decision's been made, so let's coordinate all the action steps that, or projects or whatever it is that need to. I mean, that, that's obviously a very, uh, uh, to me, that's a very useful uh, um, meeting as well, possibly. Exactly. And those are the two things that I talk about are the best uses of groups are conflict and coordination. Either you're, either you're trying to tear apart a decision that's already been made or you're trying to organize the action plan for that. It turns out that groups are great, at disagreeing, but they're horrible at agreeing. Yeah. So let's use that to our advantage. So, and as you said, uh, a number of the other um, parts of the standard really are uh, amount almost to housekeeping <laughs> after after you get that idea, because the next one is is that you know that the meeting starts on time, it moves fast, ends on schedule, and I think that you know that that part alone probably would would make a lot of people think uh, uh, think more highly of meetings in general if the, if that just actually occurred. Exactly. And it, it, it sounds like kind of banal advice, yeah. this idea of moving fast and end on schedule. But the reason why that's in the standard and why it's so important is because the reason why I put there is very different from the reason you hear. Like, for example, when we talk about, you know, the meeting advice that a lot of experts will give is, you know, make sure you start on time, you end on time, and you make it as brief as possible. And the reason we do that is because we want to be respectful of people's time. Mm -hmm. And that's an important reason, but it's not the most important reason. My most important reason is that deadlines work. And if we can start and end on time, it optimizes for the decision. Remember, yeah. this entire standard, the reason why we have this standard is to optimize for decision-making. We want the single purpose of a meeting to make sure decisions happen powerfully and quickly. So if you end on schedule, it turns out that that is beautiful for decision-making. I mean, just this morning, it looks like the, the government finally mm -hmm. is reaching an agreement on this debt selling issue that's been going on for months. Are we surprised that the deadline is tomorrow <laughs> and they just came out? Is that a coincidence? Right. No. So if you, if you end on schedule, that is really the way that is going to help you optimize for the decision. Yeah, without a deadline, you'll never make one. Um, the, the next point, uh, limit the number of attendees. I think that's a little counter for some folks. And then I want to follow it with sort of your second part of that is that if invited attendees recognize they don't need to be there, it's their obligation to decline. Now, now talk about a culture shift. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Sorry, boss. Sorry, boss. I don't need to be there. <laughs> well, let's talk about that second point because I think it's, it's interesting, right? I mean, you're, you're pointing at something that's really funny, John, and that yeah. is that we, we live in that type of culture. We live in a right. culture, a meeting culture, where one is if you're not invited to a meeting, you feel left out exactly. or you feel disrespected. Yeah. Yeah. If you're invited to a meeting, you feel important and you feel like you're part of the equation. But the reality is that's kind of silly because those things aren't necessarily true. And if the opposite were true, it actually would probably be more productive for organizations. So I get that this standard needs to be accompanied by some really serious uh, changes in the way we think, right? And right. one of those changes is if you don't need to be at the meeting, then 
it's not rude anymore to tell somebody that you don't need to be a part of the meeting. In this new culture that we're trying to create, it's actually a favor. You're doing the group a favor. You're doing the organization a favor. saying, you know what? I know this decision impacts me, but I'm okay with not being part of the, the decision. I'm okay with you guys meeting, and I just want to know what the decision ends up being, just include me on what needs to happen in terms of the coordination. Like, that's a really generous thing that a person inside an organization can do for the team and the organization. I mean, we think that it's generous to give our input. Sometimes it's much more generous to let somebody make a decision and give your input either never or some point down the road. Yeah, and I suppose the key is to make sure everybody knows they truly have permission that they're not, uh, the, you know, they're not going to be seen as somebody who doesn't care because they said, I don't, you know, I don't need to be at the meeting. Exactly, and that's why this entire book, the key word is, is culture, is how do we change a culture um, in order to, to make sure people realize what's going on and, and how we're thinking about things differently. So I'm going to jump around a little bit uh, just uh, just because people need to buy the book and uh, <laughs> and read all this. But uh, um, I think that this is an important one, too. The modern meeting refuses to be informational. Reading memos is mandatory. So so I guess what we're saying there is is if we're going to have this meeting, you better be prepared. Exactly. And, and okay, so one of the failures, I think, in traditional meetings up until now is we haven't really properly defined a meeting, right? Yeah, right? Because what exactly is a meeting? I mean, are we having a meeting right now, John? It, no. It, or is, it, is, is, when, is a campaign rally a meeting? Who knows? So what I try to do in my, my book is really define what a modern meeting is. And I said it before, and I'll say it again because it's the most important part of the book, is a modern meeting only exists to support a decision. And the, the brand of meetings has become so tarnished you know, it's become corrupted. I mean, if you mention the word meetings to people inside organizations, they either run or laugh or cry or one of the right. above. Right. And so what I say is we need to start over. One of the things we need to do when we start over is really make the meeting powerful and sacred by only making it that one thing, which means if it's going to be about decisions, it can't be about information. Yeah. Because if you think about so many of the meetings that actually occur in organizations, it's just somebody reading off the script, disseminating information. Right? And the reason why that this is this is really is really important, right? The reason why that happens is because we don't we tend not to read <laughs> inside yeah. of organizations. Right. We're so busy we're so busy and when for example a manager sends out an email to the team, he can't be sure that everybody's gonna gonna read the, the memo, even if it's really important. Yep. In fact, the manager himself probably doesn't read. Yep. But but this is really silly because the informational meeting is killing us. It's one of the most frustrating things to sift through, and anybody who's ever had to do it um, is probably wondering to themselves, well, why couldn't they have just taken this and sent it to me? Well, now, or, or worse, as you said, they did send it to me already, <laughs> and, exactly. and, and I read it. <laughs> now, why are they reading it to me again? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so what I say is we need to make a sacred pact. We need to sit down and say, listen, nobody wants these informational meetings. I think it's just been... A, a kind of failure in the system of trust because we're, we're afraid nobody will be remembered. So we have to form a sacred pact. We'll cancel all the informational meetings, but you have to read the memo. Yeah. Okay? That doesn't mean you can irresponsibly send 20 memos a day or horribly written ones, but if we can all trust each other to read and write the memos, the amount of time we can save in informational meetings is extraordinary. And I'll just add one more point to that. That is, we are living in an age of social media and rich 
communication options. I mean, the amount of communication options we have right now is extraordinary, and holding a meeting to communicate is ridiculously expensive. I mean, what we're doing right now, we're recording a podcast. I mean, why isn't this such a mainstream tool inside of organizations? Why isn't somebody, a manager who needs to get that information, just record themselves into an audio mechanism or tape themselves video-wise cut it down to five minutes and send it out to the team. Like, we need to get to the point where we're really utilizing the tools that we have. Well, yeah, or, or create a, a Google Plus circle and just, you know, all the important reading material goes in that circle for the team. Exactly. Great point. Yeah. The, the tools are out there. Yep. So, the, so I'm, I'm going to end on this last one. Actually, before we, we do that, um, uh, the book, give, give, give listeners uh, a little heads up on where they can get the book and the various ways they get, can get the book. I, I, obviously, it's a... It's an Amazon-rich um, <laughs> product uh, for, for obvious reasons, but uh, you've also got a couple special deals going on um, in, in the, the, the Domino format too, don't you? Yeah, exactly. So the, the book is released on August 3rd. It's an Amazon exclusive, so you can get it in hardcover, audio, or Kindle version, just like normal. But we're really proud to be able to announce that Citrix um, has generously uh, – is our sponsor. So they've been able to sponsor the book. So what that means is that for the first seven days, the Kindle version will be available for free download. So from the days between August 3rd, which is when the book released, until August 9th, you can actually go to Amazon, download the Kindle version for free, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. Very, very cool. So um, the last point, the modern meeting works only alongside a culture of brainstorming. I think we've been talking about uh, culture quite a bit, but um, does the idea of brainstorming run a little bit or conflict a little bit with the idea of of having meetings only when decisions are made? Yeah, and that's why I really love this last principle because it's so important. It seems like a non sequitur because the the argument that I make is that it's the, tr- the tragedy is we've lumped brainstorming into meetings. Yeah. But if you think about it, brainstorming is the exact opposite of meetings. And we need to run opposite of meetings. I mean, the way I've decided, uh, determined a meeting is it's about decision. It's about the closing off of options, which is good because that's the medicine we need right now. But we can't forget about the other side, the, the mass generation of options, which is what brainstorming is. And there's all this amazing research on brainstorming and companies that are leading the way, like, IDEO, which everybody should be looking to because they're probably the most creative company in the world, and they know, they understand that brainstorms can't be anything like meetings. They have to be active. They have to be fun. They have to be uh, devoid of evaluation and criticism. Yet, when you walk into a brainstorm, it looks exactly like the regular meeting. Yeah. So we're sending the wrong signal. Small businesses, large organizations, it's really, really, I don't think this whole brainstorming, uh, the, the, the way it should be done, has really caught on like it should and it could. Um, so that's why I make it a, a really strong point to include that in the standard. Yeah, so, so what you're suggesting is that it needs to be extracted from what we think of as a meeting, but it definitely has to be fostered as well because the, the modern meeting, as you've described it, in, in a way sort of shuts off brainstorming. Exactly, because the modern meeting is about, you know, decisions in right. its Latin root means to kill off. Yeah. And so that's great because we need to do that, but at the same time, what, for the balance, for balance sake, we need to have brainstorming because I'm all for the generation of ideas and great creative discussions that lead to amazing thought. So we can't forget about that. In fact, that's got to flourish for my system to work. But don't pollute my damn meeting with your brainstorming, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, don't get them mixed up, right? Because <laughs> exactly. 
Right. They're just completely different mindsets, philosophies, and everything. So just don't treat them the same. Make sure they don't look the same because, you know, the signaling thing is important. If you walk into a room and it looks like a meeting, people are going to treat it like a meeting. Yeah. Yeah. So bring out the balloons and, you know, mix it up. Whatever you need to do. <laughs> Whatever you need to do. All right, Al, thanks so much for joining me. The Modern Meeting Standard. Read this before our next meeting. Um, anybody who who runs a company of more than one person uh, probably needs to get this book. Thanks a lot, Tom. I really appreciate uh, your time here. You bet. Take care. Bye.